So I'm Dr. Lawrence Brown. I'm a GP in Bournemouth. And it was the, the everything you need to know about safety prescribing for GPs, which is quite a challenge. But the best person ever to do that would be Claire Howard, who's a pharmacist. And she's basically had lots of roles with the NHS right up to national level. Um, she's worked with the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And so I know from working with her in the past, her technical knowledge of medicines and medicines optimization is without any other peer um, who could do better. Um, but the really nice thing to having Claire on this webinar is that she's got great experience of, of GPs. So she's worked extensively with GPs around Wessex, certainly. Um, and we all sit in our silos a little bit in our in our practices. So she's probably got an, not only a better knowledge technically of medicines than I have, which is easy, but she's also probably got a better knowledge of GP's behaviour, thoughts and concerns all around prescribing issues. So it's brilliant to have her to do this talk. Um, we all know it's very easy to start medicines, but it's actually quite difficult to stop them. And I just wanted to try and link this in in a sort of seamless way with one of the webinars the LMC did in January, which was one on clinical decision making, which um, if you have seen it, I thought was very good. And I wrote down three points from that, which Claire might put up on her first slide, actually. There was three sort of take home messages for me about clinical decision making. And I thought I'd try and integrate it with this presentation. Really, it said that you need to have good access to reliable and timely and accurate information if you're going to do good clinical decision making. And Claire will show you how now we've got very good, amazing data to help us um, look at how we look at patients with complex prescribing. Um, one of the other comments I loved was it said you have to have a breadth but not a depth of experience. So this sort of webinar I think gives you an understanding of what's out there and how you can tackle things but we as GPs don't have to have that sort of absolute depth of experience that maybe some pharmacists do, certainly senior pharmacists. And the bit I like the best is you know recognise quickly when you should outsource decision making and as Claire will say you know now we've got clinical pharmacists quite well embedded in primary care networks, hopefully in a primary care network near you, um, it's great just to have that, that decision making shared for, for more complex decisions. And my final bit is for this hour is because it's a short time, I think we'll just treat it more as a lecture and I won't be really trying to field all if there are any questions and answers, but we will we're going to do a half day later on in the next couple of months with Claire and others to do a bit more if people want it around these issues touched on today. Um, and so basically we can build on any things in the chat or questions and answers with that. And my suggestion was going to be that if, if you find this one out, which is more of a taster and an introduction to, to this subject, then if you do email Joanna, um, if you're willing and able to take part in a half day one at a later date, which will be a much more in-depth thing, which is much more interactive with you. So that's my spiel and I'd like to hand you over to Claire Howard. Uh, thank you, Lawrence, and, and thank you for um, a rather grand uh, introduction. I hope I uh, live up to that. <laughs> Okay, um, so, so what are we setting out to do? As Lawrence says, this is an absolutely huge topic, polypharmacy, uh, stopping uh, medicine safely. So what we'll try and do today is give you a sort of taster and also share some of the learning from the action learning sets that we do with GPs and pharmacists about the barriers and the concerns people have around this topic, and then point you in the direction of some of the resources. But hopefully if we get the chance to come back and do a workshop with you, we can really get into some of the, the challenges that people face uh, around this agenda. I think it's also probably important just to say right at the beginning that I'm really mindful of, you know, 
general practice was busy enough and then the last 12 months have obviously been a, an incredible strain on people. Um, and I think what we're trying to aim today, if there's sort of one message, this doesn't all sit on the GP's shoulders. If we're going to do this properly, we need to think about the way we organise primary care. We need to work as teams, particularly GPs and pharmacists, but also social prescribers and others to address um, what has been a sort of one stop. OK, we'll, we'll write a prescription to now thinking about how do we safely take people off those medicines that are no longer giving them benefit or that are giving them a huge amount of burden in terms of collecting those prescriptions and managing to take them every day. So really the central message is about how do we do that systematically rather than it all landing on the GP shoulders? How do we work as a primary care team to do this really well and cement uh, this as we go as we go forward? So I hope that's really clear and I hope you know there's an understanding that I, I appreciate that the kind of strain that people have been under and that this is no kind of quick fix. But hopefully what we'll give you is a real good, you know, a sense of what's out there, a sense of who's doing it well, and maybe, uh, you know, when there is a bit of space to think about it, you can start to think about how your primary care network uh, might arrange themselves to tackle this. So I'm going to do a little bit about the size and scale of polypharmacy and the problem. I'm going to touch on what we're doing about it and what we as a group of clinicians in Wessex uh, did to try and improve the data for you. A little bit on the strategic and policy context, so what's coming down the line, and then touch on the uh, technical and behavioural elements. And, and this is a complex, multifaceted issue uh, where we need lots and lots of resources to help us do this well. And then I'll point you in the direction of, of tools and further support, which hopefully, if we do this half-day work uh, workshop, if there's a uh, you know if people are, are keen to to come along to that, we'll do a lot more about how we use those tools um, to to be able to address this. OK, so let's um, start with just the sort of size and scale of the problem. We know that medicines um, are intended to help patients. And in fact, you know, many patients lives have been uh, saved, if not transformed uh, by uh, medicines. But we do know from the evidence that increasingly, particularly with our older population, uh, we are causing harm. So I had a quick look on the data that I'm going to share with you in a moment. And there are 38,828 patients in Wessex on 10 or more medicines. And that's BNF categories 1 to 4 and 6 to 10. So it's not eye drops, creams, vaccines, lotions. It's tablets that they take day in, day out. And over 27,000 of those were over 65. So just thinking about the sort of burden of that, of collecting prescriptions, taking those every day, as well as the workload for you and community pharmacists to prescribe and dispense those medicines. It's, it, it's really significant. Over a six month period, over three quarters of people over the age of 70 will have an adverse drug reaction. Um, obviously, the more medicines that people are taking, the more likelihood there is of harm. A person taking 10 or more medicines is 300% more likely to be admitted into hospital. And we're seeing an increase in um, drug related ad adverse events. Um, they're very poorly recorded on the door at A&E, so we never have a completely accurate uh, size and understanding of, of the scale of that issue. Uh, but it is uh, from the data that we have got, we're seeing that growing. And it's kind of inevitable, isn't it? The more we prescribe to vulnerable older people, uh, that the more challenges we may have. So polypharmacy adds preventable cost to the healthcare system. It does diminish the quality of care for the patient. Um, and we dispense over a billion prescription items per year in primary care. Most of the harm that we caused with polypharmacy is preventable, but it's such a huge uh, issue that I think it's been hard for people to try and think about tackling it. Um, but, but recently, minds have turned to this is no longer sustainable, this sort of uh, um, growth in, in prescribing. 
it's a global issue, certainly for, for, for Western uh, countries. So, so World Health Organization in its third global challenge, which was reducing harm from medication uh, safety issues, said that given that medicine is the most common therapeutic uh, intervention, ensuring safe medication use and having processes in place uh, to improve medication are of central importance. And the document that's highlighted there uh, in the green um, is, is just a really straightforward document about polypharmacy and, and, and the challenges from the WHO. It's, um, it is growing, um, this issue as well, and Age UK have recently highlighted back in 2019 in their document, More Harm Than Good, the sort of the impact on our older patients. So about four or five years ago, a group of us, uh, we held a big workshop across Wessex to look at this problem. And one of the GPs actually from, from the Wessex area came to me and said, we've tried to do small projects around this, but without any meaningful data, it's really hard to understand whether our prescribing is worse than the practice next door, whether we do this more than everybody else. And also when we put interventions into place, we don't know the impact of, of that. We can't measure it accurately because at that stage, all we were able to do was measure kind of cost and volume. So we started a group of us clinicians, GPs and pharmacists in the Wessex area started working with the Business Services Authority who, who own all of the prescribing data. Um, and they just developed the ability to link the prescribing of the medicines to the NHS number of the patient. So for the first time ever in this country, we had the ability to look at individual patients and look at the combinations of medicines they were on. And so in that way, be able to start to measure the size of, of the polypharmacy issues. So I'll share some of that data. And I think central to this as, as we go forward, as you'll see, is that there are technical tools there about stopping particular medicines. But actually, when you explore this topic, the technicalities of the drug are probably secondary to understanding shared decision making and what's important to the patient, particularly as those patients get older. If we can get to the root of what's important to them, we together with them can make really sensible decisions about what medicines they should be on and could be on and are able to take. And while sometimes medicines, you know, 14 or 15 may all be clinically indicated, if somebody's 97 and living on their own in cognitive decline, it doesn't matter how clinically valid those medicines are, it's very unlikely that patient is going to be able to take them well. So I think more thought about how does this person actually take these medicines that I've prescribed is the route to the answer of, of all of this and coming up with numbers and, and combinations of medicines that the patient can actually manage. So in terms of strategy and the sort of policy, policy context, if you like, um, Lawrence has already touched on this, um, that obviously in the, long, the NHS long-term plan, there was a commitment to increase the number of pharmacists working with general practice. And I've seen, I do lots of training with uh, practice pharmacists and I've seen over the last 12 months that uh, there are a growing number of pharmacists now, a sort of army of pharmacists in the majority of practices. And I think, again, central to this topic is having a team approach, practice managers, GPs and pharmacists working to find those patients and then having systems set up to be able to do shared decision making really well. So uh, thankfully that sort of policy has started to uh, come to fruition. I think primary care networks will be interesting as well in the way that practices coalesce around this agenda. And if you've got you know, large numbers of older patients, then this will be a, a really significant uh, topic for you. It's also important to say, and I think COVID has taught us about this as well though, that whilst we think of polypharmacy in the context of older people, 
it isn't exclusive to older people. And the more deprived the area that you work in, when we look at the data around polypharmacy in those areas of deprivation, we see that there are you know, people who you potentially would class as frail, certainly exposed to polypharmacy in their 40s and 50s, whereas in more affluent areas that may be in their 70s and 80s. So I think it's just a cautious note to say, don't always assume this is something that applies to older patients exclusively, it doesn't. And even younger children, you know, children with learning difficulties, uh, young adults with learning difficulties, you can very, very quickly see the number of medicines mount up to a, to a, a regime that's almost unsustainable for somebody um, you, you know uh, to, to manage so I think it's just a word of caution to just you know predominantly we're talking about older people but not exclusively so I'll talk about quaff and then the overprescribing review so the Secretary of State uh, before he was busy with COVID um, uh, asked for a review into he called it overprescribing. I think that's challenging. I don't think anybody sets out in the morning to overprescribe medicines. I think it's a medical model that has driven us into a polypharmacy uh, scenario, and I think it's it needs careful unpicking. Um, but that review will be published in the next few months. So just to sort of hammer home uh, where we've got to in, in terms of what that means for your primary care network. So as of October 2020, each primary care network should have been using appropriate tools to identify and prioritise patients who would benefit from a structured medication review. It includes care homes, but it also talks about patients with complex and poly problematic polypharmacy, specifically those on 10 or more medicines. And in a moment, I'll show you where to access that information. It also then talks about um, patients on medicines commonly associated with medication errors. And I'll touch very slightly on the pincer work that I know lots of you in Wessex, uh, Wessex is one of the leading areas for uh, use of pincer in, in general practice. Um, but again, a useful tool to find those patients at risk from harm. And I think my view is as we emerge from COVID, the workload will be significant. So we need to be really smart about tools that find the patients but help us prioritise those patients. In reality, we will not have the capacity to see everybody. So how do we find those that potentially at the most risk of harm? Um, and that's what we'll go through today. So the um, BSA polypharmacy comparators are highlighted in uh, Annex B of, of the um, tools for audit and identifying those patients and also pincers mentioned too. There's also the Impact and Investment Fund, and again, a link to medication safety and finding patients on combinations of medicines that potentially increase their risk of, of bleeding. Um, and we worked out, a couple of us, that we think if practices hit these targets, it's in the region of about £5,000 per average practice. Um, so again, worth understanding where you are in terms of these targets and, uh, and how, how you'll fare. Um, and, and Lawrence and colleagues at his practice um, have to, you have local tools. So, so I'm going to share with you the global tools, but there are local tools then that you will be using to just uh, have a look at that data uh, for yourselves. Okay, so I'm going to start with the data in particular. We created what we call the polypharmacy prescribing comparators. They're not indicators. They're not, you know, you're good, you're bad. It's there as a comparative tool to do three things. First of all, see how your practice is prescribing um, both the volume of medicines you dish out, if you like, and also the combinations of medicines compared to other, other practices, PCNs, regions, and, and indeed the rest of the country. 
And then using that data to understand what is your particular issue. So when I look at this data for practices, I might see that their volume comparators look okay, that they're okay on things like uh, non-steroidals and things that may co cause kidney injury. But in terms of things like anticholinergic burden, um, they've got an issue there. And so we can then work with that practice on making sure everybody understands anticholinergic burden and how to bring those patients in and perhaps reduce that, uh, that burden for those patients. So there, in my experience, um, I've, I've yet to come across the practice who across the board are performing well in all of the comparators it's one of those tools where there's something for everybody um, so it's worth you know having a look and finding what that priority area is from your practice and then if you put interventions in place or you're bringing those patients in for a review um, you're able to measure the data the data comes out every month so within six months you could have a look and see how you've how you've fared so a, a clinical audit cycle basically and that's available uh, to all practices. You as a GP may not delve into the detail of the data yourselves, but you may want to talk to your pharmacist about having access to it and your PCN may want to look at that as a whole. So I'm now going to show you um, a quick video that just describes what, the, it, rather than using slides, I thought it would be great for you to actually see the tool in action. So hopefully if the technology works, I will move it past my introduction. Uh, and then the guys from the BSA, it's about four minutes long, this video, just describing what the data shows you. get it to exactly the right spot. There we go. View. The Polypharmacy Prescribing Comparators Dashboard is a fantastic tool available in EPAC2. To access the dashboard, from the EPAC2 landing page, just select Dashboards. All of the EPAC2 dashboards will be displayed, but to access the Polypharmacy Dashboard, just give it a click. The dashboard is split by organization level, with each level having its own section. It contains a CCG view, a PCN view, right down to practice views. Each of the pages has been designed to allow you to benchmark your organization, prioritize where you could make interventions and measure the impact of those interventions. As Claire mentioned, the dashboard also includes information on how to request patient NHS numbers for those of you with direct clinical care. We cover this later in the video. In this example, I've selected the volume comparator percentage of patients prescribed 10 or more unique medicines. It's really simple to select another of the many useful polypharmacy comparators. To do so, I can just click the arrow at the end of this list and all of the compounders will be displayed. The newer therapeutic compounders are listed here too. For example, here is the percentage of patients prescribed an SSRI or an SNRI concurrently with two other medicines comparator. I can select it, press apply, and the page will update to show me the data for this comparator. Every page, whatever the comparator you pick, contains a bar chart, which shows how your selected organization compares to others to support you to benchmark, and a line chart, which is allowed to allow you to track and measure change over time for your organization. A useful feature of the dashboard is the ability to turn the chart views into data views. To do so, you can click the display option located just above the chart. If you select data, the page will update to show you a table of data. 
This is especially useful as it allows you to see the exact number of patients that will fall within that comparator for the selected organization and month. This information is in the numerator column. Definitions for what the numerator and denominator columns are showing you can be found by moving your mouse over the links above. So far, we've been looking at the comparators across all age bands. However, the dashboards contain the ability to view specific age bands. In earlier versions of the dashboard, you had the ability to select from age bands in the over 65s, over 75s and over 85s category. The working group created the new functionality around the age bands because polypharmacy, whilst a particular challenge for older patients, is not exclusive to the over 65s. We know that in more deprived areas, polypharmacy is an issue for much younger groups. This new functionality puts you, the user, in control of how you cut the data. When looking at the CCG level, you can also compare yourself to organisations with similar demographics using the similar 10 structure, which has its own page. This is to give you a more accurate idea of the areas of prescribing that may be a priority problem for you. Whatever the page, it's worth noting that you always have the option to select different months or different organisations. Once you've picked them, you can then just press apply. Finally, we mentioned that you have the option to request the patient NHS numbers of the patients that you've identified using the dashboard. Details on this process can be found in the supporting information section on the patient details page. We rightly have a clear and strict process to ensure only those with direct clinical care of the patients can access the NHS numbers. But we encourage all of you that do to use this process. And as Claire said earlier, save time by letting us get the NHS numbers to you rather than you doing your own local searches on your clinical systems. Thanks for watching, and I hope you can see how you can use the Polypharmacy Prescribing Compounders dashboard in your work to improve patient outcomes. Okay, so um, hopefully that video just gave you a taste, gave you a taste of what the data looks like. And in a moment, I'll show you what kind of comparators there are there. And you may not be the GP in your practice, or the, it may, in fact, it may not be GPs in the practice that delve into the data, but knowing as a practice that you can find that information helps you to think about, okay, what will your way of tackling polypharmacy be? So, we sh you know, we should know what the data is like. We were very careful when we created this tool and, and Lawrence guided us particularly to say, a tool that says to a GP practice, you've got 500 patients that need a medication review is of no use whatsoever. We haven't got the capacity uh, to be able to do that. What we want to be able to do is show you here are the nine or 10 patients that if you call in for a review, you'll make a meaningful difference because their anticholinergic burden is high or they're on drugs that increase their risk of bleeding, for example. And you saw in the video and also in this slide here that actually when you drill down down to individual indicators, it tends to be nine or 10 patients. It's a manageable number for you then to select um, to, to bring in for medication review. So what sort of things does the data cover? Well, uh, as, as you saw in the video, there are uh, volume comparators that show you the average number of medicines prescribed per patient in your practice, and then the percentage of patients on eight or more, 10 or more, 15 or more, or 20 or more medicines. So you may decide you just want to look at over 85s on 20 or more medicines, for example, and that will give you, a, you know, a smallish number of patients who you think actually that's, a, that's something that we can have a look at. 
Um, so that gives you an idea of your sort of volume of, of prescribing. And I would say as a general rule, the more deprived the area you're in, the larger those figures will be. But then when we look at the clinical and therapeutic comparators, you can start to see, identify patients where, where you know, potentially were causing harm. So we've picked things like patients prescribed multiple anticoagulant regimes, uh, patients prescribed multiple medicines known with an anticholinergic um, side effect, uh, patients of uh, percentage of patients um, medicines that we know are likely to cause acute kidney injury and then we've recently added indicators such as patients prescribed multiple analgesics and if you're dialing in from the Portsmouth area I was just looking at the data yesterday some really fascinating figures about how many patients you've got on five or more analgesics and whilst our patients who are on very high doses of opioids may be very well known to the practice you may not be quite so aware of how many people you've got on multiple analgesics on at lower level uh, that may not be really managing their pain well so this will help you to identify those we've added in an ssri snri plus medicines that also are known to increase risk of bleeding because we think that tends to get forgotten that the the uh, impact of ssris or snris on, on increasing bleeding risk sometimes gets um forgotten so you can see there uh, and then also we, we added it's probably one of our more controversial indicators i think patients prescribed medicines with a, an unwanted hypotensive effect again trying to think about those older patients at risk of falls so hopefully you see there's lots of information and data there for you to find those patients potentially at risk when we do the polypharmacy uh, action learning sets, we take groups of GPs and we show them this data and we get them to think about what this means for their practice. And it is quite interesting. We've we've done well over 100 uh, delegates have gone through this process now and it's three action learning sets. And it's the same medicines that come up regularly that GPs say, you know, I'm concerned about cardiology medicines, this is difficult to unpick why cardiology medicines are prescribed, particularly as patients get older. Um, anticholinergic burden comes up regularly and people's understanding of that. So we had a fantastic geriatrician from Bath join us on one of the action learning sets and his, the confidence he gave to GPs to actually be brave enough to stop the medicines once you've identified patients where there may be some issues. Um, so fantastic that we captured that in a podcast. Um, so you, if, if you like your podcasts, um, if you go onto this website here, you'll hear the whole thing is only about 20 minutes, but we've chunked it down as well into uh, some of the key topics around pain, cardiology, uh, medicines and, and um, anticholinergic burden. So hopefully uh, something to, to sort of help with that confidence issue. So um, the, the data where well, we've had the data available to us for about three years or so, and we know that where practices use it properly. So as part of a sort of systematized approach for poly polypharmacy, we are or pre COVID, we were seeing them really make some inroads into the volume of prescribing that was happening in their practice. Um, and we were starting to explore that quite carefully uh, when COVID hit. But we know that CCGs where the, you know, there's been this big approach to getting all of the practices to sign up to use their data, having the pharmacists working with them, particularly around care homes and, and using the data to target particular patients in care homes with, with many, many medicines where, that may or may not be appropriate, that actually some of those places have had some really uh, significant inroads into some of those indicators. And we looked at this um, uh, from the just before publication to June 2019 and we saw that there were thousands fewer patients in many many of the categories that, that are highlighted by the comparators so this can be addressed um, but it but it's you know it's not easy and what we aim to do with the training sessions that we run the action learning sets is take people through a sort of journey of understanding this and becoming more confident 
So if we think about some of the issues then that crop up in terms of we found the patients, we know this is a big problem, what are we going to do about it? Um, prescribing where we should have concerns. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't new to everybody, but if you look at the volume of non-steroidals we prescribe still in older patients, of anticoagulants, you will see that those red flags that should be uh, signaling to us, hang on this, we need to have a review of this, aren't always. And, and you know, for me, medicine safety, all routes often end up at repeat prescribing systems and I visit lots of practices and I ask them what they do with their repeat prescribing systems and I'm trying to explore how safe those systems are. Those systems were not described, were not designed for large numbers of older people with long-term conditions on multiple medicines. They just weren't designed like that 20 plus years ago um, and yet now with the volume of medicines we're dishing out means there are some really big risks in people's repeat prescribing systems and one thing I would urge people to do is start to look at that as we emerge from, uh, from COVID about how we could do this better. But those red flags that we should be looking at, non-steroidals, anticoagulants, antiplatelets and diuretics, um, it, the review that the Secretary of State carried out on the size and scale of medication safety problems depressingly highlighted that these medicines are the major cause of harm from primary care prescribing. Um, so, so always worth a look at. And then some of the concerning combinations, if you like, so the DAM drug, the so-called DAM drugs that increase your risk of acute kidney injury, diuretics, metformin, ACE inhibitors. Um, and, and we need to have a think about that. And certainly when we've done the training, my assessment would be sometimes those combinations are not as well understood in terms of their risk. And then obviously CNS drugs are, are a kind of hot topic at the moment, antidepressant prescribing opiates, uh, GABA, the GABA medicines and uh, antipsychotics, anti-anxiolytics. So, so it's important that practices have tools that will identify out of all of those patients out there getting multiple repeats, how many are, are potentially at risk from harm. It's then important to understand it's not just about finding those patients, it's about really understanding the infrastructure in which we work and also our own personal behaviours and our own personal issues that contribute to this topic. Um, and, you know, we'll see as, as we go forward, personal barriers, environmental barriers, there are behavioural barriers to tackling this. And then there are also other things like quaff that have potentially, you know, nice guidance that may have driven, people feel may have driven polypharmacy prescribing that we need to really understand the impact that they've had. We increasingly see sort of specialist silo prescribing as well. So you may do a brilliant, you know, structured medication review with a patient, work out, get the medicine sorted out. They're then admitted to hospital and, you know, a statin and an and a aspirin and something else gets added and a beta blocker gets added back in. Um, so we've really got to think of this as a system approach and we're working at the moment carefully with primary care, but we will start to be working with clinicians in secondary care to make sure that everybody's uh, kind of working towards the same goals around this. But it's it's not easy. In the, the action learning sets, we ask GPs and pharmacists to talk about their own personal barriers um, around this and also the environmental barriers. And this is a kind of collection of some of the things that we found. But confidence is, uh, is a real issue. So, so people might clinically understand that, you know, the evidence base for a statin in a 97 year old is really not there to, to be prescribing in that patient, but the confidence to make that decision to stop that medicine. And I think for me, particularly working with GPs, where they don't feel there's an issue, so if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. If the patient isn't complaining of anything, I think people are very, uh, don't have the confidence to say, well, this still isn't sensible for this person still to be on these medicines. This stuff isn't easy, it takes time. Um, sometimes patients' expectations are, you know, that they want every intervention possible. And sometimes those conversations are very, very difficult. 
difficult. Lots of GPs describe, you know, you'll have a brilliant conversation with a patient and you work it all out. And then you'll, their daughter, three days later, their daughter will ring up and say, why have you stopped all my mum's medicines? So it's not just the patient, it's their carer, particularly with the older patients. Um, we've talked a little bit about repeat processes. Records are really, really important to this. As a pharmacist looking through patients' records, it's often the case that I can't find the reason the drug was prescribed in the first place. No idea why. And this could be a high-risk medicine. Am I No idea why the person's on it. Can't go back far enough. Can't find that original um, indication. So record keeping is really important. And then also, um, you know, the infrastructure within the practice. So if you as a practice and a group of GPs aren't on the same page as this and you stop a medicine, but then colleagues restart it, that can cause real problems. So, so there's some real challenges around this, around um, kind of personal barriers and, and behavior within the practice. People often mention fear of litigation as well, whether that's perceived fear of litigation or a real fear of litigation is, is an interesting one to talk about, um, but it's there nonetheless and, and may mean people leave a person on a medicine. There are risks to being on a medicine, but our risk, our, our, our approach to taking them off it as an active decision uh, sometimes is very different to our thought process around leaving them on a medicine. Um, so, so we explore some of that with, with delegates and, and if we get this workshop, we will we'll do the same with you guys. Environmental barriers, so, so people often talk about transfer of care, so people come out from hospital on, a, on stuff that then the GP is, is left kind of having to deal with and think about. Quaff targets could be argued in the past have driven uh, polypharmacy. Um, you know, high proportion of nursing homes and the demand from that home we've seen, you know, particularly in times of crisis, people don't want to be running out of medicine. So I think we've seen a, you know, a huge increase actually over the last, uh, certainly the first few months of, of the, uh, this time last year uh, of COVID driving prescribing behaviour. Fear of consequences, a lack of a process in primary care, and that's predominantly what we're talking about here. Um, and multiple prescribers for one individual. And I think that's a, a huge issue that as we have more people caring for patients, uh, we need to think about and explore. So just a little taste of, of, of some of the problems. And then I'll just hint here over the next sort of 10 minutes or so about some of the uh, tools to help you address this. If you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and when we do these action learning sets at the end of day one, we can see amongst the GPs that they are feeling a bit, oh my God, this is an intractable problem. How am I expected to solve this? Um, don't feel like this. There are tools out there, but I think we've got to be realistic about where we can get to with this agenda. And at the moment with seven minute consultations, you can't do a really great shared decision making consultation in that short amount of time. So one of the things primary care networks will have to grapple with is how do we reorganize primary care so we make space for people with multiple morbidities on lots of medicines to be able to come in and talk freely about what they're doing with their medicines and i think we need an infrastructure change to support that so don't set yourself up for a fail this is quite hard to do in a seven minute consultation although we do send gps away to go and do one as homework and it is surprising to some of the gps how many patients say oh i'm glad you've asked me about that i really don't want to take that it makes me feel sick or i wasn't taking it in the first place so there are quick wins but if we're going to you know, systematically go at this, we need a bit of a change. I'll talk to you in a second about uh, the tools that are available, but I think it's important to understand there is no single tool that can fix this either. We need to change our approach to a much more shared decision making 
approach consistently, but we also need to talk to patients about that. So they come to expect that as they get older, reviews will be made and medicines will be stopped. And that's quite challenging at the moment because there are still cohorts of patients who you know, appeal for every year and they worry about why you're taking them off medicines. So simultaneously with this, we need to look at changing patient behavior in a sort of social marketing uh, campaign, if you like, with patients to say, you know, medicines aren't always the answer and sometimes they may cause harm. So change is about moving to shared decision-making over time. It's about working together with GPs, patients, and the whole practice to do this well. Um, and we are seeing places, um, you know, the magic uh, work from Wales and the Northeast and other places that are embedding shared decision-making and, and it does work well. And there are those that argue when we do it well, it works quicker, um, but I think it takes a little while to get to that point. So just to highlight some of the technical tools then, and um, probably the one I would recommend um, most highly because it's been being used in primary care for over 10 years now is the Scot Scotland Polypharmacy Resources. So if you Google NHS Scotland Polypharmacy, you will be taken to a whole uh, raft of, of support materials as part of their realistic prescribing um, programme, which they reviewed. They've been at it for about 10 years. They've been identified as, a, as an exemplar site by the World Health Organisation. And actually that, that that guidance, you know, if you've got the time, is, is really worth having a look at. We've developed locally the medicine safety portal because we realised for things like sulfonylureas in older patients, anticholinergic burden, there sometimes wasn't that deep understanding of the issues. So we put together some short e-learning modules for those topics that come out of that polypharmacy um, action learning set. So, so have a look at that and see what's there. And we're adding to that all the time. The WHO have mentioned their five moments for medication safety and, and I would just highlight here that the way we start medicines is as important to where we get to with medicines. So the amount of times we do consultations with patients and they say, oh, but the doctor said I'd be on this for life. Actually, there are very, very few medicines, maybe insulin, thyroxine, you know, there's a small number of medicines that you would be on for life. But the majority of things for long term conditions, antihypertensives, cardiology medicines, except diabetes medicines, we would expect as patients age to be reviewing those medicines and making changes. And we don't explain that very well to patients at the beginning. So we're setting ourselves up for a fall. We set patients up to go, well, the doctor told me I was on this for life and now you're taking me off this. What does that mean for me? So I think if we could start consultations better about medicines change, your kidneys, your liver will change over time and, and, and we, will, um, we will adjust your medicines accordingly. And um, we had a brilliant uh, doctor in one of the action learning sets who described how he just talks to patients about this. And what he says was, um, look at your face. Your face doesn't change. It doesn't stay the same for your whole life. Well, if you think of that's what's happening to your kidneys and your liver inside. So I now need to adjust your medicines. And uh, while slightly brutal, it, it made me laugh. And, uh, and I imagine most patients could relate to that. So it just takes you through uh, all of these uh, particular areas. But I think the starting the medicine is, is an area where we've got a lot of work to do. There's the no tears model from Wales, again, long, long time in the making. Um, and I think when uh, particularly for, um, you know, you know uh, new GPs and for pharmacists starting out doing consultations, these sort of tools that give you an aid memoir, if you like, to make sure you go through all of the different areas are really helpful. And then as you become more practiced in this, um, you, you know, you develop your own uh, ways of doing this. But, you know, looking at why is the patient on the medicine in the first place, asking open questions about what they, the patient does. Being really honest with giving patients permission to be honest about what they do with medicines is really important because they don't do what's, what it says on the prescription. And we know from the evidence that you know 30 to 50% of medicines are not taken as intended. 
we often find patients are really have very poor understanding of the tests that we ask them to complete and the monitoring that links to those medicines. Um, obviously need to understand what adverse effects they've had from the medicines uh, and then go through and, and think about that risk reduction and that prevention. And it's probably worth saying here as well that the end goal isn't necessarily always a dead stop of the medicine. It could be lowering the dose, it could be tailoring the dose down, or it could be saying, we're going to pause, we're going to stop and see what happens to you over the next six weeks and then we'll review again. So patients don't feel that this is just um, absolutely the, the absolute end of, of this and, and there's no going back. Again, the Scotland Polypharmacy uh, work, the seven steps uh, to good prescribing, really important. I highlight this particular page from the Scotland work in that in making shared decision making, probably one of the things we need to be a little bit better about is numbers needed to treat and numbers needed to harm. And particularly as patients get older, that understanding why we're using a medicine and what the potential harm is and having a really honest conversation with that patient is important. And, you know, none of us, you know, pharmacists included can keep all those numbers in our head. But the, the Scotland work, if you've got, you know, some particularly challenging areas, and I think sometimes anticoagulants in older patients is a really tricky one about balancing risk and benefit and um, there's some really nice evidence summaries with the numbers needed to treat and number needed to harm of those sort of common medicines where we think actually you know it's, it's a fine balance how do I kind of get through all of this uh, so I would definitely uh, recommend that. I touched a moment ago upon, um, you know, there's the technical side of what's the medicine doing is it safe but probably more important to that is our consultation skills around allowing patients to be completely honest about what they're doing with their medicines and um, we ask people who attend uh, our action learning sets to kind of share some of their tricks and we've also spoken to uh, geriatricians and I think there's something really important just about giving patients permission to say, actually, doctor, it, it, it's nothing personal to you, but I haven't been taking that because it makes me feel sick. Or, you know, I, I love this one, you know, wow, that is a lot of medicines. Can you tell me how you're managing them all? Because I think as clinicians, we're actually really poor at understanding the sort of pill burden and the, the, the healthcare burden we place on our patients where we expect them to, you know, every three months come in for a blood test, every month pick up their prescription. If you have to get a bus, if you have got other challenges going on in your life, it's actually really difficult sometimes to stay on top of one or two medicines, let alone 13 or 14. And so again, rather than always getting hung up with the kind of clinical aspects of this, sometimes there's some very practical things that we are, we, you know, we just, we just gloss over with our patients. So some of these questions about, you know, which of these medicines concerns you the most? How do you feel about taking all of this? Um, for me as a pharmacist, when I use that kind of language, it's incredible some of the stories that people tell you about what they're doing with your medicines. And we share those in the action learning sessions as well. And, and you know, they are quite jaw dropping, but also quite sad that we've allowed our patients to get in such a pickle with their medicines without ever having conversations about what they're doing. Um, so I think just some, some honesty around that and giving patients permission is, is really important. So I think just to kind of summarise, that's, that's a really kind of romp through what is a massive, massive topic. And hopefully we will get the opportunity to explore more with you. Um, in, the, in May and June, we're starting to redo the action learning sets and we'll be going out to the sort of Portsmouth area. Um, we, we're doing them online, but for GPs in the Portsmouth area, we'll be running some 
sessions um, but we have got some funding to be able to run those sessions for particular groups so if you as a system want to start to think about polypharmacy um, then it's worth uh, getting in touch with us at the AHSN the Academic Health Science Network um, where we myself Lawrence and two other colleagues Zoe, Zoe who's on the call today but also uh, Steve Williams who is the pharmacist at Lawrence's practice we've developed this little process that we take um, uh, we take GPs and pharmacists through and that's been evaluated and very positively evaluated. It has had an impact on those delegates that come in terms of improving their confidence to stop medicine safely. So if that's something you're interested in, um, then do get in touch. But just to sort of summarize, the sort of steps in this, if you like, are first of all, look at the data and understand where you as a practice may have some particular issues around medicine safety and polypharmacy. And have a think about as we emerge from COVID, how you are going to address that. Then it's about identifying the individual patients at risk from harm from those combinations of medicines and then understanding how you will, as a, as a collection, work through that list uh, to carry out structured medication reviews with those patients. And, um, and the heart of, of that structured medication review is, is really getting to the bottom of what's important to the patient as well as clinically what else is going on. Um, my, my sort of final message is, you know, it absolutely has to be a team effort. This is pharmacists, GPs, and I would also include social prescribers in this because some of the issues we encounter around um, CNS medicines, so, so antidepressants, um, pain relieving medicines, I think we're starting to increasingly see the role that social prescribers can, can play as opposed to medicines in helping support those, those patients to, to not necessarily be on medicines that they don't need to take or that aren't give, providing them any benefit, but maybe providing uh, that may be causing them harm. So um, there's lots and lots of resources around this topic on the HSN website. You can have access to the uh, polypharmacy comparators. Um, as it said in the video, it helps you identify there's a particular section where you can then go in and get the NHS numbers of the patients at risk. So you don't have to run your own searches locally. And I just hope that's given you a bit of a flavour of everything that's out there. Um, lots and lots more on this topic, but I hope that's given you a little bit of a taster to think about as, as we uh, emerge from the next few months. Thanks very much. Thank you, Claire. <clears throat> That's a really good overview. So I'm really hoping that if this get, obviously it's not a great time as a lot of people live on this, but hopefully if people are watching this and over the next two or three weeks, I think we could really get together a nice half day follow up for this with a bit more in depth on what people really want. Um, and I, I suppose, I mean, obviously I've got a bit of an interest in this, but um, I think th there is this slight challenge we've got about more multidisciplinary prescribers so the GP kind of is the lead prescriber but just you know we're going to do a meeting with the heart failure nurse soon and that's a very common one where there's a bit of other people involved in prescribing and titrating up and down doses and you've really got to have your your eye on this and really be on it because otherwise you can get in quite a muddle and it's not for anybody's fault but just the way the systems are working um, I think the social prescribers thing is brilliant and I guess all PCNs have got implemented those in different ways. And it was only really um, a couple of weeks ago that we just sort of had an in-house meeting just to sort of review their, how they integrated and, and it is brilliant and I'm sure that's a really big assistance to us in, in helping patients you know, when we've had that shared care discussion and then they can use social prescribers as another way of helping them get off the medicines, that, that I think is brilliant. And I think the only other thing I was going to say just from our experience has been we kind of set up, we, we plan about, it, uh, it basically we plan a session a week with the clinical pharmacist to have 
proactive um, clinics, polypharmacy clinics, where that's about 80% of the appointments are pre-planned and sent out to patients. And it's really, you know, the quaff patients and everything gets done for quaff at the same time. Some of these patients may have had a workout with the technician before to get the bloods and blood pressure and weights and everything done. Um, and then they're complex patients, but they're seen proactively. The quaff stuff is all ticked off. And you've got a platform when you're then seeing these patients to, that really makes it easy to deal with their clinical concerns rather than worrying about the medicines. But we leave about 20% of those appointments for like we all get in a clinic where you suddenly see somebody think, God, that really looks pretty horrendous what they're on. I certainly haven't got time to unpick that now. So we kind of leave appointment slots free where you can just slide somebody in within a week or two as well, who you're just picking up more opportunistically. And touch wood, I think that's worked quite well for us. And I think that's probably all I was going to say, and that probably will come to an end. But it would be really good if people have found this useful to, to email Joanna at the LMC and just say, because we will definitely get a date for a half day session. And that's not in competition with the other action learning sets that are in Wessex, but I think it's just a complementary thing because some of us won't have time to necessarily do that, which I think is more for the prescribing leads. Um, but this half day one will be good just for people who want to take this a bit further, but without getting too tangled up in it. So that's kind of how I see we'll pitch that. Um, and what I would say is the honest truth is that the, at the moment, the polypharmacy data sets are quite clunky to use. So it is really, I think, for, a, for somebody in your management team, ideally with a pharmacist, just to spend a bit of time on. I don't think it's really for GPs to get tangled up in because it can drive you a bit bonkers trying to get through it all. But but we're trying to really make a big effort with the with the um, business service authority to make it that bit more user friendly. I think, Claire, is that fair to say? So it will be and, much easier yeah, to just quickly look and see. Yeah, what we've asked them to do, because there's a lot of data in there. So what we're aiming to do is almost produce a sort of front page that says, right, for your practice, here are the issues where you look, you know, worse than the regional national average or, or you know, you, something looks a little bit different. So just to sort of point you in the right direction. So a kind of summary page that then means you don't have to go into that detail. But I do think if you've got a, a PCN pharmacist, they should at least be aware of where that data is and what the detail is showing you about your PCN. But yes, it may not uh, be the GP themselves that, that delves in to that data.